Good Friday afternoon to your family. This is Chris. You're listening to Encouraging Your Spirit, the podcast. I hope this message finds you doing well. On today's episode, we're talking about faith and culture. Notes from the field, a personal reflection on a blog I wrote about issues, race, and justice. I hope you'll join us for this fantastic discussion. You know, some time ago, I want to say it was probably boo, three, four years ago, I met the president of a local seminary that's here in my town. At that time, I was pondering the decision of going to back to school or returning to school for a master's degree in divinity. While that is not my journey at this time, I still get the blogs and different uh, posts about the courses that they're offering and different programs that they and services and seminars and workshops and the like that they do around the city. Sometimes with my schedule, I've yet to be able to attend one, but I am abreast of what they're doing. And I bring that up because this week I was reading a blog post by the president of the seminary that basically was using their blog post. So they, they have a blog. It's on different topics. There's one on ministry. There's one on faith and culture. And the faith and culture one was the one that was interesting. And there were basically four keys that, uh, I won't say his name, the head of the seminary focused on. And one was the focus of embracing our origin, meaning that everyone is made in the image of God, regardless of skin color. The second was about embracing and understanding the need that everyone needs a savior and that Jesus is alive in us. The third one was the imp- point was the importance of lamenting. He talked about the book of lamentation and how it's a book of wails, a book of sorrow, yet it is important to allow people the ability to mourn aloud. And the fourth was a discussion of the prophets Amos and Micah. I think it was, I know it was B.C. Israel. There was a discussion about uh, wealth, class, society, and the lack of equality in that particular community. And I'm paraphrasing. You can go to, uh, well, I'll put the link on the, on the content for this check for you to see the full um blog post but basically the prophets of that time Amos and Micah were giving comment on what was going on in that area and how it related to today that was the focus of the president's comments and what he said was hold on let me get my notes so I can read it because I'm reading away from from my notes one moment <clears throat> so I give you context of what we see. One moment here. And okay, so I'm scrolling. My apologies. 
So just a recap, I was saying the, the four points were look to what the Bible affirms about our origins. And that's where the context of Genesis was read. I didn't read it in this podcast, but uh, the focus was everyone is created in the image of God. The need for a savior, learning from the biblical model of lamenting what is broken around us and pulling us so we can lament, we can cry out in sorrow for what we see, for what has happened, for lives taken, for injustice of all sorts. We can feel along with those who suffer. The fourth point was let the Hebrew prophets prick your conscience and lead you to more Christ-like Life and relationships. And with that, it was saying that both Amos and Micah found it. Sorry, it took me a while, but I'm, I found the notes. Both Amos and Micah describe, expose, and challenge a society that was broken along lines that divided people one from the other. In the 8th century B.C. in Israel and Judah, the societal fault line was along the lines of wealth and class and region and nationality. But the two prophets exposed the sin in their hearts and of those who took advantage of, of and oppressed others around them and called for contrition and repentance. Speaking for God himself, they also summoned those on each side of the societal divides back to the covenant that all the people had with God, which implies our calling to live in a way that reflects God's character of perfection and justice and equity. Consider, the, and later it gives you, you know, the selections in Amos and Micah, but the point is to think about, based on reading it, how should I feel, how should we speak out? Indeed, the prophets do expose sin to call us to repent from injustice and inhumanity. Moreover, they also lead the way in calling us to live as Jesus did while here on earth with, in the scripture, um, the president uh, and pastor and reverend Dr. Cuffey used was learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widows. Isaiah 1. 17 and i shared you know this blog and the podcast today because i definitely believe in the importance of knowledge thought the need to think critically its application and implication to everyday life and i also agree with certain parts of the blog i mean i definitely you've heard me in this podcast talk about the importance of holding space allowing people the ability to lament to mourn loudly I definitely agree that we are created in the image of God. There is no one, no person's eyes that you can look in. You can't look into a single person's eyes that Abba doesn't love. For me, it isn't just black people. It's my belief that it's every human, no matter how they identify or express their identity. I also um, would add that while it's true that I believe that we should mourn aloud, yet the problem I find is that I'm not always certain when we're talking about mourning aloud and lamenting that people hear it for what it is. Or maybe it's not that they don't hear it. It's the lack of application of what to do after it's heard. I mean, around the country, numerous people are protesting. In my own city earlier this week, people were in the streets decrying no justice, no peace. And in many ways, I agree. And my point, you know, when you think about, you know, this blog post was written to the community of theological students past present future when you look at the goal 
of uh, seminary or the goal of theology. I mean, just at it, it random. Um, uh, the goal of theological seminary, I mean, they're generally evangelical, non-denominational, international, and multi-ethnic communities seeking, you know, to help fulfill God's calling and the church's commitment to the ministry. Uh, they do that through professional development, spiritual formation, the dynamics of pastoral ministry, and the encouragement of Christian lay leadership. They generally hope to provide a unique basis for the church's outreach in the world. They're committed to academic excellence, practical relevance, both to personal piety, piety and social responsibility, both to the historic orthodoxy and its expression in the scientific culture of our modern world. And that's generally a mission of a seminary that, that might be very word-wise and thematically based on where the location is but that's the general scope and when we think about biblical theology because i didn't read it in this post but if i do share that link or if you you know what i remember from reading it was you know they were talking about the focus of biblical values and Biblical theology seeks to discern meaning from the biblical authors themselves. This task is often called the historical task because the meaning given by the biblical author is thoroughly embedded in a, his, in a history, if you will. For example, if you're thinking about what it means, if you took a class that says invitation to biblical interpretation, you'd say that the task of biblical theology is to study scripture on its own terms. That is, pay special attention, not merely to the concepts addressed in scripture, but to the very words, the vocabulary, the terminology used by biblical writers themselves. Why is that important? Because I think when we look at what the purpose of the faith and culture uh, blog post by the Urbana Seminary is to do is to do that thematically to use blogs to talk to a mass group of people about very topics. And I think about those definitions, re realizing that mission is important, a way to frame the conversation or frame the way forward, if you will, as far as I'm, if I'm giving you, you know, notes on, on from the field. Now, personally, I have to tell you, I am not a theologian. While it's true I was interested in completing or going, returning to school to get a master's degree in divinity, I do not have one at this time. I am approaching it as a, <coughs> excuse me, person that does research in information science and librarianship. That's my level of scholarship. But I'm also, my identity is also a believer in Jesus. My identity is also an overseer. My identity is also, you know, <clears throat> a person that's that's about reading and learning and really looking at what things mean and really looking at the different dynamics that are going on in the world. And when we think about this podcast and how one of the goals is, you know, sometimes I'm talking about scripture and its application for everyday life. Sometimes I'm talking about an issue and its application for everyday life. And in many ways, when we look at the what's going on in the world today, be it the pandemic or be it, you know, the racial disparity, the levels of racial injustice that are happening all around us and what it means there would be a question if, you know, from a theological perspective or if you're a student or future, you know, student of what would it mean there? I would think 
And my biggest qualm is that while I always believe that it's important to look to Jesus, or maybe it's not that we're looking to Jesus. I really don't think it's that. I really don't, because I don't think there's anything wrong with looking to Jesus. Um, and I'm not trying to be facetious or uh, throw shade, as they would say, to uh, Dr. Cuffey's remarks. I'm not. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I'm just thinking about it on a bigger context. And that context is that I often feel that many of us fail to use, implement, act, walk, or move in the authority that Jesus gives us. I, I really see that all the time. Because the movement itself can't be solved with words. Even though I know we do use words, words do matter. They have power in in, in all realms. They're, they're often the uh, mode of conversation, communication, especially to speak, you know, to the masses. And while that is also true, it's also true that oftentimes we've seen people use words. We've seen people lean in and listen. Yet it's also true that the church in itself remains the most segregated our segregated population segregated group that is also true that sometimes the level of consciousness that is within the church and i'm not just defining that as the physical structure sometimes is antiquated sometimes is legalistic sometimes is fundamental sometimes is passive and sometimes is unmoving or at least it's love or maybe, you know, a better interpretation of it's sometimes fragmented. And I say that while wholeheartedly believing that there are progressive communities of faith, progressive leaders, and I'm nor am I citing and institutions as well. And nor am I citing that this institution is not one of them or is one. I'm just not moved by worded statements. And when I think about you know, what is needed, what is lacking when we think about what can we do as people that are teachers, people that that's that's what we're gifted with. I think about how do we use that to encourage, to uplift, to equip people, whether that's you doing that on the level and you're at a school that's affiliated with theology, whether you're doing this in a school that's affiliated with uh a university, whether you do that and that's through whatever platform is accessible to you, whether you're a ministry leader or a Sunday school teacher, how do we do that? And I'm often thinking about that is because you'll read as, as these racial disparities, you know, keep happening and there's all this going on in the world. Uh, you'll you'll read comments that people will talk about the importance of education, the importance of reading groups, the importance of information, the importance of being aware. Yet, while all those things are true, I think sometimes the issue is not with the awareness. The issue is with application interpretation. That's just what I think. Uh, the lack of it. I mean, another way to think about it is there's a book out. I believe it's, I think his last name is Kendi. Let me look. Hold on. I'm going to pull it up because I have to give you the correct citation. Yes. Yes, it's by Kendam. Ibram 
X Kendi and Jason Reynolds wrote races is wrote stamp racism anti-racism and you a remix of the National Book Award winning stamp from the beginning as a popular book that's out right now I think he's located on the Upper East Coast but <clears throat> I liked his point in the book or in a conversation that he was having most recently in which Kendi stated and I'm going to bring it all together is that, here's why I say that. Because when we think about what will lead us forward, what will will allow us to move forward and how we do that, I often think that's framed in ideology. Because we have been taught that ignorance and hate lead to racist ideas and lead to racist policies. Kendi argues that if the fundamental problem is ignorance and hate, then your solutions are going to be focused on education and love and persuasion. But of course, in the book, Kendi writes that the actual foundation of racism is not ignorance and hate, but self-interest, particularly economic and political and cultural. Self-interest drives racist policies that benefit that self-interest. When the policies are challenged because they produce inequalities, racist ideas spring up to justify those policies. Hate flows freely from there. Why did I bring that up? Because when we look again at the mission and the importance and the level of authority that you have when you're teaching, training, encouraging future leaders in ministry, in laity, regardless of what their level of responsibility will, will be, non-denominational, denominational, or um, international and multi-ethnic, how do you do that? Because I think you have to start with the ideologies that we've been taught. And while we're teaching you know, the scriptures and the authors of the scriptures and the original language that it was written in and the verbs and the vernacular and what it means, and we're also thinking about faith and culture and what we do and move and act and do in this area, it's also important to really look at what it is that we're thinking about, what it is are the uh, ideologies that we framed and are they still true? Are they still accurate? Do we still believe that? Are they still representative of the God in which we believe and the God in which we serve in the nature and name of Christ? This is just thoughts I have. I'm not <laughs> just something I was thinking about, you know, this week because I was thinking, okay, you know, there are a lot of institutions that are writing statements and trying to connect with people and having these discussions. Yet on some level, the discussions are similar to things that have always been said or have been said. It's just the lack of action that has occurred. Or there's some level of connectivity that appears to be missing. You know, for example, you know, Kendi writes about racist ideas. For example, when you think about Africans or barbarians, if we remove them from Africa and enslave them, they could be civilized. I bring that up because oftentimes when you'll find people talking about their issue with the church and with how African-Americans even came to believe in church, there's this idea that um, where, where did that come from? Where did this idea come from and is it connected to they were trying to make us to go to church so we would be civilized. There are different forms of that that are said in different ways. And I'm not arguing about that. But 
there is another side of the argument that talks about that you can understand that this very simply with slavery and then trying to break it down into the context of saying I'm enslaving people because I want to make money. Abolitionists are resisting me. So I'm going to convince Americans that these people should be enslaved because they're black. And then people will start believing these ideas that these people are so barbaric that they need to be enslaved or that they are so childlike that they need to be enslaved. So that's just basically showing you an idealistic or an idea in itself way of a breakdown and that's any idea that suggests one racial group is superior or inferior to another group in any way is a racist idea. And I bring that up because we've been taught that American history as is this steady march of racial progress. But it's also been a dual march of racial and racist progress which you can see, not necessarily just from the Charlottesvilles to Trump Tower. You can see its infection, its affliction, if you will, in various areas and sectors of society, economic and cultural, political, um, that level of connectivity in, the, in church, in the doctrines that we or see that are preached when we think about the reasons why you'll sit in Sunday services and there's still a segregated hour, a segregated sect of people and just the need for freedom, liberation in those areas. And I just wanted to bring that up just to think about as things to think about. As we're thinking about the realms in which we have authority as, you know, believers, as related to being teachers, related to ministries, ministry laities, you know, thinking about what it is exactly that we are continuing to teach or that we teach or that we believe. And is it true now? Is that still, how does it connect? And how do we move forward? How do we encourage, equip and empower other people to to be free that's all i have i hope what i've said makes sense it was just personal reflections and personal thoughts i thank you so much for your time for always being a listener of encouraging your spirit podcast be blessed have a great week